I'm not big on like going all in on a series, but there are two sermons that I've been wanting to kind of jump into, and maybe it's a two-week series, I don't know, but basically some of my favorite characters in Scripture are the disciples, which is not, you know, a profound statement by any means, but, but in particular, I, I love to, to dig into, two, I want to just kind of dig into two of them over this week and next um, to try and invite us to see and experience them in maybe a little bit of a different perspective. So this week um, is Thomas. And so I want to share with us uh, from John chapter 20, beginning at verse 19. I invite you to either read along the passages in your bulletin or hear these words. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. Would you pray with me? Loving God, I don't know if I can compete with a revving motorcycle running by, but um, I'm going to try. Because I speak not from my thoughts, but from the revelation of your holy and living word. From the work of your Holy Spirit that I trust has been with me in preparation and that I trust and believe is with us here and now. And so, God, I pray that you would speak through me, and if need be, in spite of me, so that your word alone would be heard. Amen. 
All right, so you've all heard of this guy before, right? Thomas, Thomas the disciple, Thomas the apostle, Thomas the twin. And then what's the one we know him mostly by, though? Yeah, doubting Thomas, right? John 20, 19 through whatever. Thomas was like, well, in order for me to believe, this is what I need. We know him primarily as doubting Thomas. It's such an unfortunate moniker. I mean, like, doubt, I mean, can you imagine if I was, no, like, doubting Ben? Oh, yeah, that guy, he's great. No, no one would ever think you were great if somebody called you doubting whatever, right? But the truth is, and, and I just want to name this, resurrection is an important and foundational aspect of our faith, right? I mean, I'm not going to take a survey, and I'm not going to require that you believe certain things or whatever, but the, but the truth is, is that the resurrection of Jesus, the power that comes from that, the power that is exampled in that, is a core component of our faith. But let's be real here. We're 2,000 years separated from it. It's probably a little easier for us to accept, to believe, to affirm, because we've got all that time, that hindsight, that, that history of faith. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not saying it's easy, but let's be clear. We're talking about 11 disciples who are hiding in a room for fear that their own lives are at risk after their teacher had been taken Exploited and sham trials, and then beaten, tortured, and executed, and buried. And he appears among them, alive and risen. That would be hard to believe. And if you were out getting snacks, and you came back, and they were like, guess who was just here? He'd be like, no, really, what, what are you guys doing? Lay off the wine. This is ridiculous, right? I don't know, but I, it would be hard. And I, I just kind of feel like maybe doubting Thomas gets a bit of a bad rap. And so I just want to sit with this for a moment, that, that the nuance of his name, at the very least, does a disservice to Thomas, but, but also to us, if we dismiss this experience as, oh, yeah, there goes Doubting Thomas again. So two things I just want to think about tonight. The first is, is that, that to call him Doubting Thomas in a way that would dismiss him is, is really a lot like scapegoating. Because we call him that with this assumption that Jesus and the disciples must have just rolled their eyes when he said, this is what I need. I need more. I need to see, as he says, the mark of the nails in his hands. I need to put my finger in the mark of the nails uh, and my hand in his side. We, we want to say, how dare he ask for more? But, but here's the question I want to ask. Are we, are we adding something when we do that? Because do the other disciples berate him? Do they dismiss him? Do they question or challenge this expressed need? When Jesus comes back, does he lament his need for proof? Does he belittle his request as if it was somehow an example of his lack of faith? Again, to be clear, those things don't happen. No one, no one does anything like that. At least no one in the recordings of Scripture challenges or diminishes Thomas's expressed need in that moment. He's not berated, and we know that he is welcome to remain with the disciples and does so because that's where we find him when Jesus returns again a week later. 
And if there is one part in, in the passage that we just read that does feel a little bit like maybe an expression of disappointment, it would be Jesus' response. And I'll just, let me read that again. Jesus says to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now, I can appreciate that that might seem a little bit like admonishment, but I, I don't think that's what it is. Or, or at the very least, it's not an expression of Jesus' disappointment. Because keep in mind, and, and here's the kicker for me, what Thomas asked for is basically the exact same thing that the other disciples received. As we read the passage, we hear that they too required this very evidence. Hear, hear this again. This is how the passage opens. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And there's nothing. There's no response. There's no, oh, raw, here he is, just like he said. No, it's just, okay, uh, how'd you get in here? Who are you, right? Here's what the next thing says. Jesus showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Right? I mean, really, I think all Thomas is saying is, me too, <laughs> right? Can, can, I, can I have the same experience? Can I, can I experience this? Can I see as well? So really what we're experiencing here is not one outlier needing this expression, this, this, this evidence, but needing the same. And so in fact what they have is a shared experience, a shared receipt of evidence. And, and that means to me is I don't see Thomas as someone who is so devastatingly plagued by doubt, but, but, but Thomas as someone who is unfortunately out getting snacks the first time that it happened. And so when Jesus says to him, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe, I don't think he's talking about the other disciples there in the room. I think he's talking about the disciples in this room. I think he's talking about us. He's naming that following his ascension, which is getting ever so near, most of us will be required to have faith in Jesus without such evidence. We have never seen the marks of the nails in his hands. We have never put our fingers into the spear wound on his side. No, we have come to believe without seeing, at least not in the ways that they have. And Jesus is naming for them, and frankly naming for us, that that kind of belief requires God's grace and requires us to have faith in a different way. So if we imply some sense of, of defeat or disappointment when we call him Doubting Thomas, I think that we're projecting something that just isn't there, or at least isn't there scripturally. Or maybe it's just that scapegoating I said, we, where we're projecting something that, frankly, we struggle with because that's more comfortable than facing the struggle itself. And the second thing is this, and I think this is really important, at least it has been in my journey. Doubt is not a sin. All right, I'm just, let me say that again. Doubt is not a sin. Thomas is not displaying sin. He's displaying doubt. 
He, among so many others, are rocked by Jesus' death, and he returns to this room of his friends and fellow disciples to hear that he has missed the risen Christ among them. And so he says aloud, okay, um, this is what I need to get where you are. This is what I need to believe. I want to believe, but that's so much. So here's the deal. Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. And then fast forward a week. And Jesus returns, and again he says, peace be with you, and then boom, he turns right to Thomas. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. I don't hear any chiding there. I don't hear any reprimand. Jesus returns and says, I hear this is what you need. Here it is, so that you might believe. Bottom line is, I think doubting Thomas is a great name for Thomas the twin. Uh, My argument here is not that we stop using it. My my hope is that we would continue to use it, but not as a reproach, but as a relief. To acknowledge not only that we also sometimes have doubts, but that when we do so, we are in the company of none other than Jesus' original disciples when we do. And to receive from this very story the permission, even the invitation, to tell God what we need to believe. To trust that God wants for us abundant life, faithful adherence to God's call on our lives, and also the understanding that doubt will sometimes be a part of that journey. So my friends, don't hide even your doubt. Don't hide it from from one another. Don't shy away from it as if it proves you're lacking faith or strength. Instead, speak it, share it, even pray it. Let God enter into it because the promise is God might just show up, just as Jesus did for Thomas, and say to you, I heard this is what you need. Here it is, so that you might believe. My friends, I say thanks be to God for Thomas, for doubting Thomas. Amen.